Greetings and welcome to Dead for Filth. I'm your host, Michael Verratti, and this is the podcast for all things queer horror and beyond. On this week's episode, we're adding a little sparkle to our slaughter as we welcome a duo whose new film is making the disco dance floors of Brooklyn a little more deadly. With Killer Unicorn, they're redefining the world of queer slashers with a blood-soaked, drag-queen-filled opus that's sure to garner an instant cult following. Here in town for the L.A. premiere of the film, Killer Unicorn writer, producer, and actor Jose Alvarez and the film's director and editor, Drew Bolton. Welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. So excited that I was able to catch you while you're in town. Now, the, the film has been having a little bit of a life on the festival circuit, yeah? Yeah, we had a good festival run. Yeah, we did. We premiered New Fest in New York in October. That was a really fun night. During Halloween. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did Q Cinema with your short. Yeah, I, uh, I, so my short He Drinks actually opened up for Killer Unicorn at Q Cinema, and I was unable to attend, but it's, it's so cool, like, how small the world of queer horror is. Like, I always say, right. like, there is, it's a community for sure, and it's so good to uh, finally get to meet you here. I know. Yeah, we've been, I've been listening to the podcast for a while. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, now I feel the pressure's on. <laughs> uh, well, I'm so excited that you're here in Los Angeles to screen the movie. Now, this is obviously the L.A. premiere. Yeah, uh, it's our West Coast premiere. Oh, so it hasn't played anywhere on the West Coast yet? Oh, we did San Francisco. Um, yeah. Yeah, at a film festival, another hole in the head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind. Oh, L.A. premiere. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm uh, I'm excited that uh, you're bringing this kind of glittery, gory masterpiece here to L.A. Uh, and so before we dig into that and the genesis of this project, why don't we start the show the same way I start every show with the same first question I ask every guest, and it is simply this. Why horror? And you two can interpret that however you want. Why does horror appeal to you? Why do you think genre is, draws audiences? But why horror? Um. Well, I could, like go on the queer tangent you know about being an outsider and all of that which is still very true but for me personally I have always been a prankster scaring people is my favorite thing to do like growing up I would hide in all the cabinets and scare my mom and my grandma Mm -hmm. Uh, and my mom hates horror like she hates it she saw Nightmare on Elm Street once and like in the theaters and she could not sleep for like a few years so she will not watch it so my my dream growing up, I would always tell her, which is very macabre now that I look back on it, I would always tell her, my dream to, uh, when I grow up is to be die in a horror movie and watch your face expression while I die on screen. So it is my experience that parents don't like it. Like, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they're, they, you know, they know it's fantasy. Uh, but anytime I have uh, screened movies with actors' families there, because I tend to, to do grotesque things, uh, I've always seen they're like, well, we liked it, but we didn't really want to see Steve, like, explode. Right. <laughs> but Steve signed up for it and we paid him. So, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, Do you have a personal favorite prank from your history of pranking then that, that you ever pulled off? Ooh. That's a good one. I... When we were moving once, I um, got in a box, and when my mom was walking by, I popped out. And it was just like she fell down <laughs> the stairs. That was pretty funny. Uh, well, I do have to ask, since you did make a horror movie, and she's like vehemently against them, it seems. Has she seen Killer Unicorn? No. Oh, wow. I'm like, so it, not for the reasons that you think. Right. It's because my mom is actually a therapist. Mm-hmm. She's a, psych- a psychologist. And the death scenes that I wrote are really, really brutal so i'm afraid of what she might think and i also have a sex scene in it oh in the bed like in my apartment 
And like, you know, when she visits me, she's going to be like, oh, this is the bed where he like flip fucked. This is where the magic happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah. I'm like, oh. Not something you want your mom necessarily thinking <laughs> Exactly. About. I like, though, that in your descending order, the first concern is I don't want my mom analyzing my kill scenes and then yeah. worried a little bit about the sex. I have shown her my death scene, though. Ah. Yeah. I I've, have shown her, like, the. So you're fulfilling this, profo- yeah. this prophecy that you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I see you. Yeah. <laughs> well, what about you, Drew? Do you uh, why horror for you? Do you have a why horror? Well, it's funny because we were actually just discussing this before we got here, and uh, you know, it, it's interesting that our moms both kind of come into play in this. But you know, when I was a kid watching horror movies, I, you know, I was really affected by them. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was, I mean, you know, as you know, it affects everyone. But you know, I was always like really upset about it. You know, seeing people die on screen. My mom would always say, "Oh, you know, it's just catch up." Um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 why horror? I mean, why not? <laughs> I mean, honestly, the best answer. Although I do find there is this through line with a lot of people who end up in this genre, as is exactly what you said, where there's this idea that when you're young, you're sort of very scared by it. Yes. But then there's sort of like that kind of fascination with the forbidden. Absolutely. And I think that there's something to be said about horror fans that we are a unique personality. And I've I've interacted with, with many different people in this space, whether they're creators or fans, who come from many different walks of life. But the one commonality seems to be we keep being drawn back to this because obviously horror movies are part of the whole pop culture zeitgeist. Everybody encounters them at some point growing up. But why us in the way that we're like, oh, I'm afraid of this, but I want to know a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for me, you know, I feel like it was almost sort of like cathartic to create this, to actually watch the catch up. You know, right. and make the catch up. And I mean, you know, because I love making shit like that's that's my favorite thing to do. Like if I could just be making stuff all day, every day, I'd be happy. Um, so I'm trying to make it happen. And uh, yeah, so it was yeah, just absolutely cathartic to make the catch up. Well, and let's talk about this catharsis, because uh, you had mentioned at the top of your answer that uh you feel like, yes, you could go the queer route and talk about that, but also that you were just interested in pranks. And Drew's also saying that, you know, he was kind of terrified by it, but was drawn back to it. And so I do think there is kind of a connection back to this sort of queer discussion, though, because do you think there is a connection between that queer interest and the idea that this of all genres is forbidden? And maybe societally we're drawn to that because we know that we're somewhat forbidden? I don't know. I'm just kind of curious for your take. I mean, absolutely. I I think for me, scaring people was kind of my defense mechanism because I was very, very bullied. Mm-hmm. So, like, at some point in, like, in middle school, I pretended to be, like, a Satanist and, like, would scare people that way to just, like, ward off the bullies. And they did stay away. So, like, I enjoyed scaring them because I find it hilarious to scare people. But I think in some weird way was also my defense mechanism of just like, hey, like, no matter what you do to me, like, I'm a much more brutal person than you than you. Well, I would buy that. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're outsiders. Mm -hmm. Um, Queer people. uh, We have to survive. I mean, okay. well, first of all, like. I mean, this is, you know, really applicable to Kill Unicorn itself. Like, I mean, as a queer person, we 
I mean, as a queer person myself, like, you know, I hid for years and years and years of my life, you know, behind, you know, not talking. And because I was afraid to talk, I was afraid to express myself because I knew that I was different. And um, so, you know, I uh, got really good at hiding. Um, So there is something um, sort of... I mean, you know, this we have this killer who's in a mask, you know, I mean, it's it's like, you know, it's a classic, you know, horror movie device. But, you know, I think that queer people can really relate to that just because of that. Right. Just from from maybe the the hiding and, and the, maybe wearing a mask to face the world. Yeah. And that kind of probably speaks to the idea of uh, queer connection to otherness and why we're drawn to horror movies in that way. Uh but that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, though, uh, you know, so you each come to these movies in your own way. Uh, obviously, you find your fandom in them. But is there a point in your lives, obviously there is, because you made a movie, where you're watching these things and you're a fan of these things, but that's not enough. And you say to yourself, I want to make movies. I want to be creatively involved. And I'm just interested to hear from both of you what, what led you into the world of filmmaking. We both have very different routes on how we came to this, actually. Um, I When I first moved to New York City, I moved there to work in fashion, and I hated it. Um, and after that, I started, I moved to theater. And I was lucky enough to uh, be a PA on the off-Broadway production of Heathers. And that already you know, has its all, it, it's already a dark show, and it's right. about teenagers killing each other. So, Do you think that Heathers is horror adjacent? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, anything Winona Ryder does, it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Autumn in New York is certainly terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, and then I, I moved to theater and I met some amazing, amazing people that I had looked up to for most of my life. And they were campy creators and they used to do um, things in the, in this vein and that kind of gave me the kick to be able to say, you know, I have this really, really stupid idea. I think it's great. Yeah. And that's how we, that's how I per- personally fell into filmmaking. Um, I spent my childhood locked in my room making stuff and it was a great place. Um, and uh, I, I uh, actually ended up uh, in high school uh, joining the high school robotics team, and, and, and what's that mean? I didn't. Yeah. I, I didn't have a robotics team in my high school. So I'm going to tell you where my brain goes. Uh, I like you're just building terminators. That's, right. Well, yeah, right. Yeah. Essentially. Um, so we actually. It was really cool. It was a public high school in Fort Worth, Texas, okay. and uh, we had engineers from NASA and Lockheed Martin, the who makes uh, F-16 fighter jets and uh, the like. And uh, there was this uh, game that uh, this organization, the uh, first robotics competition, uh, where the game changed every year. And yeah, you essentially build these robots that play this game and uh, compete against each other. And uh, so the robots compete. The robots. You create the (laughs) robots. We create the robots. Yes. This seems horrifying. Yes. There's something about it that seems like maybe detrimental to mankind. But I. I'll allow it. Yeah, and it, as if they were asking my starts. opinion. This yeah, is yeah. how it starts. And, it's, and it's, high school. it's a bunch of sixteen-year-olds building these things too. Right. So you know the ideas are fucking great. Um, 
But there was this whole uh, 3D animation competition alongside this. So you had to actually build this robot that we designed in uh, 3D Studio Max. And uh, we had this competition. And uh, the Nationals were at Disney World. And there are thousands of teams from all over the world. And, uh, you know, I remember missing my family went on a uh, ski trip to Canada uh, that year and I skipped the vacation so I could finish this animation with my team who just was incredible and so helpful I had this mentor who was just incredible Um, and we got to Disney World our robot did horribly (laughs) unfortunately (laughs) but um, the animation uh, the top eight animations played and ours was one of them and I recognized the music instantly and then um, when uh, the actual animation competition like the final day came uh, they announced you know oh third place oh second place and I was there with my mom and uh, then when they announced first place you know I heard the music start and then my animation played and you know it was in front of this audience of thousands of people thousands of you know little geeks it was great so um, you you kind of really fell into this because of animation yeah yeah and and, and the killer robots of yesteryear right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no and I, I'm I, I love that because obviously your paths to the world of filmmaking are very different and uh, Jose in your answer you kind of led us up to the gates of killer unicorn yeah. but obviously you made this movie together so how did you two meet Aw, it's a sweet story. <laughs> I love a sweet story. Yeah. On a show called Dead for Filth, we don't get sweet as often as we like. So. Well, it's sweet enough that we met at the Cock in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which, if, if you don't know, is notorious. A it, notorious gay bar. But. It is a very notorious gay bar. Uh, I feel like the listeners who know the cock are like just kind of like, yeah. yeah. And uh, for those of you who don't, this is your teachable moment in queer history. Just Google it because I'm not going to tell you right now. It's called it's called the cock. Fill in the blanks, everybody. Yeah. Well, if you get money from the ATM outside, it says ATM from the Red Rooster. Oh, um, yeah. So as to uh, make your uh, bank statements, yeah, seem a little more. Yeah. I don't know on the PG. level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, now the cock has changed locations. In yeah, we met at the well. Technically, we met the next day at Pride, mm-hmm. yeah. but we saw each other on the on the grid. Oh, of, of, on our phone's grid the night before. And then we met at Pride and we became really good friends. I love uh, that the world of apps have sort of changed the landscape of of gay dating in general. Right. Uh, for the better and the worse, I suppose. Uh, it, it is the blessing and the curse. I know. Uh, because places like gay bars used to be the spaces that you would go. But now, of course, we kind of have in some token a, a gay bar in our pocket. Uh, and I'm, I, I don't know, I'm going off sort of on a sociological t- uh, rant here, but it has changed our community for sure. Yeah, I'm, I miss grabbing my crotch on the street until like somebody picks it up and like tells me to go home with them. <laughs> uh, Good old days. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that this is the, the, the first mention of, of the cock on the show. So I, <laughs> I'm happy for that. Uh, what a historic, like, lit, it truly is a historic yeah, gay bar. It really is. Um, you know, Jake Shears from Scissor Sisters used to go-go there when he first moved to the city. Oh, yeah. You know what? I, I really love that the Scissor Sisters uh, each have sort of, like, their roots 
in different moments of queer culture. Like he was a go-go dancer at the cock. Animatronic used to perform as a, a drag queen at uh, Tranny Shack when it was still called that in San Francisco. Uh, it's just sort of cool that like these collisions of, of cultures kind of happen to make one of my favorite queer bands. I know. And uh, I, in fact, I think I went to the last Scissor Sisters show at Terminal 5. Oh, really? There. Yeah. Oh, such a big inspiration for it's me. It's a very sweaty and hot <laughs> night, just on the dance floor. Mm, woof. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, you you uh, you meet at the family-friendly uh, gay bar in New York City, and at what point do you start talking about making a film? It was two years later? Yeah, probably like a couple years, like one or two years later, yeah. Um, I, I had the idea for a while. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to write it originally. And I was trying to find somebody to write it, and nobody wanted to. So I went uh, home one summer in Colombia, where I'm from, um, the country. (laughs) Um, And I ended up writing it in a couple weeks. And then when I came back, I was looking for a director. And I knew that Drew was an editor. And I kept asking him if he knew directors that would want to be attached. And everybody hated it. Everybody (laughs) was like, no. Like I, I remember somebody said... If there is a hidden gem in this, I cannot find it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, and then I asked Drew, like, hey, you and I have been talking for a long time about this movie and how excited we are. Do you actually want to direct it? Yeah. And, um, you know, I've assistant directed before and I worked as an editor for years and years and years and years. And uh, I, I mean, it's always a dream of mine to direct a horror film. And I found lots of gems. Oh, thank you. <laughs> the fisting death scene. I know. Yeah. How can you not? I yeah. mean, <laughs> now, was that a little scary, though, to have that kind of like, and now you're directing a film? In the best way. Right. Uh, what I like about this story uh, is that there there are a few things within this narrative that I'm, I'm really into. And it's the fact that we hear so often in the creative space, if you're not seeing what you want in the world, you have to make it yourself. And I mean, for all extents and purposes, you did. You had this idea. You wanted someone else to write it and no one was getting there. So you're like, well, I'm just going to make it myself. And then it, it, I feel like movies tell you what they're supposed to be. Yeah. Even if uh, sometimes we don't want to listen because it is a uh, it is a Herculean effort to make a film. Ay, Dios mío, it is. Yeah. But it's really interesting to see how kind of the film just stated itself. Mm-hmm. It just what needed to happen happened, even if at the moment it was really hard to take and it was like a gut punch. And at the end, just like seeing it all back, it was the best things that could happen to the film. Well, and I have to ask because, you know, you take this out and someone kind of offers you what I consider to be very derisive comment. I don't see a gem in this. And so you go and make it yourself and you premiere it at New Fest, which is no small festival. That's a that is a big feather in the cap for any queer film. And what's that night like, you know, for this movie that people told you they didn't want to see, they didn't want to make. You went out and made it. And now here you are at one of the country's preeminent LGBTQIA festivals. That was a really insane night. Um, it was all a blur, but I remember being so scared that nobody was going to show up. And we sold out all 500 seats and we had a waiting line outside. And it was just a huge 
like sigh of relief and just like you know the best revenge really is success it's just like you do it you make it happen nobody else is going to do it for you yeah i mean the amount of work that we had you know in like the weeks leading up was just insane between you know actually finishing the film and making sure you know we had the dcp and you know all that tedious stuff that nobody like loves talking about or doing right um, or tells you that or it tells you that it's necessary yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and you know between that and you know the press and everything involved in the guest list and making sure that you know this person is seeing the movie and blah 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 and we were also in the middle of negotiating our distribution deal so yeah so we're like Oh, Dios mío. It was a, it was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and then we had to have looks, you know, because yeah. like it was Halloween. And yeah. I mean, well, and also, how do you make a movie called Killer Unicorn and just show up in a basic shirt? And oh, tie? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're going to see our looks tomorrow. We, Yeah. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so you sort of suggested the the uh, beginnings of this idea that you had this idea but but talk to me about where this came from because obviously making a, a queer slasher movie is a very sort of to a world at large niche idea yeah um so be, I have a very racy mind I just like I'm always I'm always thinking mm-hmm. um so what happens a lot to me is like when people again on the grid are like, Hey, um, you know, cause some people, I, Hey, no, no shaming here. Right. But you do you. But I remember some, one time somebody was like, Hey, can, um, can, uh, I douche you. <laughs> and I was like, no, thank you. Like, I don't know you. What if you douche me with acid? And then I was like, Oh my God, that'd be a great death scene in a movie. Um, like and, somebody get douche with acid, and that's where it begins. And like, and that's where it begins. Or like with the acid douche. Yeah. Yes. So like, I was like, I stumbled up on like fisting porn on Tumblr, and like, you know, they were like elbow deep, and I was like, I know. What if a killer comes and chops the arm off, and like you're stuck with an arm inside? You know, I was like, oh my god, that's such that that should be a death scene. That's so funny. So it's just like me being born. I'm like, oh no. Uh, <laughs> you know what's kind of great about that is uh, I remember this interview with Stephen King from probably the height of, of, of kingdom. Uh, and he had, someone asked him, where do you get these ideas? And you know, every writer's favorite question, where do you get ideas from? Uh, Tumblr porn. Yeah, exactly. Tumblr porn. <laughs> and now Tumblr, like Tumblr, are you listening? I know. You have totally taken away a future of filmmakers <laughs> who need to see weird kinky shit to make their movie. No, but Stephen King was asked, you know, where do you get these ideas from? And he said, honestly, most of my books don't even begin as horror. It literally just starts with me looking at something and saying, wouldn't it be funny if... And then it becomes this, like, massively twisted, bizarre thing. And, uh, I mean, I certainly can understand why, you know, when you make that, knowing, knowing just, like, the landscape of, of filmmaking how you would probably then have challenges with with that kind of material uh was was that a big pushback that you got that you were delving into sort of like the sexual underbelly of the world of 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 queerness yeah um that came later i think it was when trying to find money and funding for the movie um i had a lot of I mean, I still do connections from like in investor connections from theater Mm -hmm. and from working in theater for for a few years. Um, And none of them 
like they read it and they're like, we love you, we support you, but I cannot attach my my name to this. Like I have two Broadway shows coming out. I don't care if you only need five thousand dollars, right? But I can't do it. It's just not for me. And I get it. Um, even even when it came to um the couple of cisgender actors in the film that are not drag queens, I told them read the script first to make sure that you're comfortable. Right. Like, because it's it's very heavy stuff that people, you know, that are not queens are not used to, like, a fisting joke. They're like, what? So. Uh, no, I think that why well, I, I do appreciate that you took this approach where you at least let people know that that's what you were going for. But it also means you weren't willing to back down on the movie that you wanted to make. Right. Well, originally, it was called Killer Unicorns from Anisberg. Oh, yeah, because the film takes place in Anisburg, Brooklyn. So now, is is uh, Anisburg no longer in the title for distribution reasons, or easier to say? Kill Unicorn is is fine. It was it, it took us a while to get around. A, I really liked my original title. <laughs> you can still see Anisburg in the movie, though, in set yeah. design and a couple jokes here and there. So, uh, why a unicorn? Well, so I was buying stupid stuff because it was summer and I wanted to do like looks and stuff from Amazon mm-hmm. and it said like recommended for you you know that little tab and it said a unicorn mask and then like a fake pink gun and I was like sure I'll buy those um, and when I got them I put them on and like I took a picture with it and I put it in it on Instagram and I said killer unicorns from Manusburg wouldn't that be a funny movie and I was like wait wouldn't that be a funny movie though um, and that's how I was born. Yeah. So then you take this back catalog of weird death scenarios you came up with from Tumblr, Porn, and Grinder, or whatever, wherever. Yeah. Combined it with an Instagram post, and now you're traveling the country screening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was like thinking, you know, being in Brooklyn nightlife, it, it, it can get dark. And, mm-hmm. you know, go into the afters until the wee hours of the morning. And thinking, you know, if somebody came in and, like, played this stunt and a slasher came in and, like, killed us, we wouldn't know. Well, and I think that that speaks to something that, you know, this movie is clearly uh, played for, like, midnight movie fun. And the idea that a lot of horror movies, you can't call a movie Killer Unicorn and then, like, deliver Sophie's Choice. Right. But I do think that... uh, what you've tapped into is something that we don't really discuss as a community very often. And the idea that there is still sort of that tangible fear for queer people going out into our spaces. Uh, and, and the fact that there's still a very dangerous world out there that no matter what we think when we go into our local gay bar or queer bar or whatever, Anything could happen. And right. I think that what you're, you are tapping into is probably something that's always been in the back of all of our minds. Yeah, definitely. And also, you know, we, we also put ourselves in very dangerous positions. You know, we're doing uh, drugs at a club until 6 a.m. And, like, you know, th- things can happen. Or we go to strangers' houses and we pick up a guy and we barely see his face. Right. And we don't know if they're going to douche us with acid. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's it. And so I'm I'm sure, I mean, obviously you had these things in mind uh, writing this movie because of like the previous conversation. But how, how much of that did you think about when you were creating the film? The idea that, yes, this is fun, but this is also sort of like uh, a moral lesson in a way, too. 
Maybe not moral, but you know right. what I mean. Yeah. Um, I think for us it was um, very clear from the beginning that the film was so over the top and that the characters are not the smartest and it's very in your face. It's very, very campy, which we we wanted to make it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But as we started to develop it more, we started seeing the under a lot of the underlying themes that when you first write it, you're not necessarily aware of. And then you're like, whoa. Right. Um, and there there are some moments in the film that do address those issues. And if you watch closely and if you watch it a second or third time, you start noticing different things of what led certain characters to their deaths or cer- or there's a commonality on like why people die. Right. Um, and I think that really surfaces out in the film. We've gotten a lot of, especially in Brooklyn, I remember one of the queens, after she saw it for the first time, she was in the movie and she came up to us and said, you know, it is so. It was so scary for me to watch because I didn't realize how true it is that all we do when we go out is ask for where is my next bump or where is my next drink ticket. And she was like, it was so scary to see how true it is. And like, yeah, and your friend said it too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had a friend, a really good friend come up to me and you know, just he, after watching it, he was like, okay, but where's the lie? Right. You know, he's just like, well, what I think is interesting about something like this, and that's the power of horror, is that uh, as a genre, it it can very much hold up like a dark mirror to society and make you sort of acknowledge things through this lens of the fantastic that maybe you are not necessarily ready to deal with. And even in something funny and campy and over the top, uh, it's sort of like. Well, it's like it's it's cinematic drag in the way that drag is a pre, is a hyper reality presentation that criticizes gender or, you know, stereotypes or the ideas of like how people present themselves. But there's that kernel of truth that makes you like sit there and like look look at yourself and be like, why am I doing X, Y, Z? And I, I think that, you know, sometimes the things that we go to just laugh at are the things that you're like, oh shit, though, maybe I yeah. need to <laughs> think about that a little bit <laughs> yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so making any indie film is is a journey, for sure. Uh, and a low-budget horror movie is is doubly so. Mm-hmm. So talk to me a little bit about the challenge. And with drag queens. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Ta- well, yeah, like, so let's dig into that. Talk to me about the challenges of making a movie about queer nightlife with drag queens and a, a killer in a unicorn mask and were there any particular moments on set that you were just like oh my god just <laughs> um, well our, our first day was particularly difficult i mean okay you know for the record i just want to say like yes you know certain things were challenging but you know because we had experts in you know we had a really good team we had we had an incredible team and you know because you know every you know these queens came with you know this expertise and this like thorough knowledge of everything and this you know excellence you know it that made it easy yes but um so our hardest day the the hardest day that I can think of we have we do have an amazing team we have um AJ Mattioli who's a trans producer in New York City he's really really awesome um he he was our co-producer for the film and he helped us a lot but even he couldn't like foresee like what we went through I remember on day 4 I think our DP had food poisoning so he didn't show up to set 
We, and then he did. He showed up late. And he then showed was up late. Puking. We were filming at my apartment, and he was filming a torture in the, scene. Yeah, torture scene. He was puking in the trash cans. Sorry, Corey. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, he was puking while he while was shooting. shooting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> amazing. In Drew's apartment, which is about the size of this room. Oh, it. Yeah, my two bedroom apartment is the size of this studio. This recording studio. audio booth. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, full of fog yeah. because we had the fog machine and like. Oh and my god. Marcus Kell was screaming at the top of his lungs yeah like bloody like you know during this torture yeah. scene and i didn't warn my neighbors <laughs> yeah but and that's just the beginning because our killer didn't show up that day either yeah he showed up late and those, then that was the first half of the day then we moved to a location this is the coldest day of february in new york city and we are shooting outside and the killer is wearing pink booty shorts and a mask and we have bible girl like crawling down on the pavement and the killer trying to stab her and we keep telling him like stab her stab her and he just says i can't move my hands oh no the fake blood kept freezing we're a 15 minute walk to holding it was so miserable oh yeah and there is nothing worse than frozen fake blood it's terrible yeah, <laughs> yeah. i have actually uh, experienced that the thing is is you can't really describe it to people it's just like a, a, an experience you have to have but you you don't want to have it trust it me it was so cold outside that the blood kept freezing that's cold that is cold <laughs> but i mean and that was all one day you've got a, a vomiting dp yeah. you're it's freezing outside you've got frozen blood you've got alarmed neighbors yeah uh, I mean, that really, in a way, sums up yeah. indie filmmaking. Oh, yeah. 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 Our art department was working in my hallway, like on the stairs, and neighbors kept popping out, you know, seeing people put blood on knives. Yeah. Now I have to assume, though, that in New York, people are generally not phased. They did not care. <laughs> Girl, they did not care. I think the funny thing about shooting in New York versus shooting in L.A. is uh, it's where the attitudes of the city do kind of like come to play. I feel like New Yorkers do have this general like, we've seen it all. We don't give a shit. Just don't get in my way. Very that. Whereas L.A., it's like, are you guys making a movie? Because everyone here is like in some capacity in the industry. And they're just kind of like, well... Hi, excuse me. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, sir. Is uh, it union? Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> you know, I have been shooting when uh, someone on a jog has pulled a headshot out of their bag. That's my so funny. It's fast. Good for them. I know. Well, I'm yeah. like, why are you jogging with your headshots? <laughs> those are expensive. Like, aren't you worried those are going to get like backed yeah. up in your bag? So but, you know, because you never know where you're going to get discovered. It's true. And I assume like running in North Hollywood by Circus Liquor is where it's going to happen. <laughs> uh, so, yes, these these days uh, where, you know, anything and anything can happen on the set of indie film but you finish it how long was the shoot it was a total of 12 days after yeah. after we did all the pickups and everything yeah yeah that sounds about right yeah and so we talked about you know you finish the movie uh you screen it at new fest what that's like what the experience is like and one of the cool things about killer unicorn uh that i have been seeing on the internet is sort of how the internet has embraced this this movie yeah and uh you know it's, it's really cool just to see kind of the social media presence and i think there is something just about that that image of you know the the unicorn slasher kind of it, it, it immediately grabs your attention um, but now that the movie has made its way out into the world as well as hit the landscape of digital uh, 
what has some of the feedback been that you've been seeing? Because like you said, this this movie kind of pushes buttons that, uh, you know, challenge people. Well, we were at a uh, festival in Atlantic City and there was this 80-year-old woman in the audience and the entire... thing could not walk on her own. No. You had to hold her arm so she could walk. The entire time, you could just hear in the back of the audience... (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) like the entire time and um she came up to me after the movie ended and she was like i don't like violence and i was like okay okay she's like but you showed me a world that i i didn't know existed and she just had this look in her eyes of appreciation <laughs> yeah. she was fascinated yeah. she loved it it was really weird I love that you opened up like a queer underground to an 80 year old woman yeah and now she is a club kid no <laughs> <laughs> and she's here to no yeah. <laughs> uh, no that's awesome and I think that that's that's the power of of movies but it's also the important place that uh, queer cinema specifically occupies in that it does open up a world to people uh, that maybe aren't seeing it. And so that was one of the things that I wanted to ask you both about. I mean, obviously, you made a movie based on queer experiences and things that you were looking at in the community that uh, you were saying, oh, wouldn't it be horrible if X, Y, Z? But, you know... When you decide to make a movie, you have every avenue that you can in any type of movie that you can choose to make. But this was the movie that you wanted to make first. So how important was it to you to make a queer movie? I don't think there was ever a question of making one that wasn't. I think I'm just I'm so queer in everything I do Mm -hmm. that it is just ingrained in anything you know like every every type of gig that i take has some queer element to it uh yeah the music that i listen to the movies that i watch i feel it's just such a part of my being that there was never a question of it being a queer film the future is female the future is queer yeah awesome um yeah i mean uh for me also you know the unicorn in particular it's like it's this image you know it's i i was obsessed with my little ponies when i was a kid and so you know it's this sort of like morphed version of that but also with this you know stereotypically gay body image morphed into a killer um and I don't remember where I was going with that. <laughs> no, I love it, though. I love the idea that uh, for you, this this was the movie that you wanted to make because this is the, the world you come from and there was no other option in your mind. And that's um, that's awesome because I think so often our artists filtered through a lens and through uh, decisions made by people in rooms who we never meet. Uh, and it makes it so much harder for uh, that authenticity to make it through. But when we present an unfiltered queer piece of art, and I will, I will go so far as to say that you know my queer experience is maybe not your queer experience, which is why we need so many different artists out there to create things, so that when that full spectrum of art is made, people feel less alone. 
And, uh, you know, it, it's, it seems a grand statement to make when we're talking about horror movies or whatever, but they are important. And I, I, I just, you know, I, I think it's, it's important that you did this. Thank you. Uh, I do have to ask, because you mentioned My Little Pony. I just had this, like, flash in my brain. Have you seen the documentaries about uh, brony culture? There are two of them. No. Yeah. I w- like, I've watched them both. I'm fascinated by it. Because, like, my subculture is uh, learning about subcultures. Like, I'm not, <laughs> like, I don't necessarily, like, prescribe to any uh, subculture myself, but I love learning about uh, subgroups of, of all different things. And um, I'm a big Doctor Who nerd, and someone gave me a My Little Pony uh, Doctor Who mashup t-shirt that I wore out at Comic-Con oh. once. It was Doctor Who's. And uh, some guy, while I was walking, was just like, are you one of those goddamn bronies? And I was like, no. But then in a second, I was like, but if I was, how very dare you, sir? Like, And then like, <laughs> I, so then I became like very defensive on, of that community in that moment. <laughs> And uh, so I wait. Just, so what is a brony? A brony is a uh, a I think s- usually straight male uh, fan of My Little Pony who has carried their fandom into adulthood. Wow. Yeah, and it's just like and a they big dress up. Yeah, it's a big like celebratory subculture, and I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. That's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, ag- what's up, brony? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yet again, people just kind of live in their lives, and yeah. I'm, I'm here for it. Uh, so before we move on from, from the movie, uh, I guess I would like to know, uh, because it does occupy such a unique space, what is your hope that audiences take away from a a viewing of Killer Unicorn? I really just want everybody to have a good time. When we did the New York screening, it was, everybody came out of it saying like, this was just so much fun. And... We're, we weren't trying to create a cinematic masterpiece. We're trying to provide people with, it's fun, it's gory, you'll scream, you'll laugh. And that's really the, you know, sometimes queer films can sometimes be so dramatic and really focus on the same kind of issues. And this is just so different and just like, you know, it's it's okay to laugh at ourselves and, and just do it let's be silly yeah I mean I yeah absolutely people should have a great time um, you know it's not uh, I mean you know I suppose people could view it as a moral story right. <laughs> but you know that my, my goal was never to um, hammer morals into people's heads um, I want people to have a good time and to scream and uh, maybe get inspired to uh, dress and drag more often and have fun with their friends and maybe make a horror film themselves. Well, speaking of dressing and drag, uh, since drag queens play such a prevalent part in your film, uh, and maybe there's already an answer to this, but since we've really just recently met, I don't know. Uh, what would your drag persona be if you were drag queens? I did did drag in college twice. Um, and my name was Candy Casserole. Candy Casserole? Yeah. Why Candy Casserole? Because my l- dog growing up was Candy, and I, yeah, and I... And who doesn't love a casserole? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm... Uh, uh, I, uh, actually for the, uh, premiere at New Fest, I dressed up as this character I'm developing called Selena Christ, and she is, uh, one part... Uh, Selena Kyle, Catwoman, and one part Jesus. Um, 
because they're kind of the same character, you know, come back from the dead and, you know. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was thinking, I was like, what are the parallels between Catwoman and Jesus? There is a, a return factor. They're both um, really sexy. Abs for days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, tell me about the horror movies that you guys get into. Obviously, you know, this is a, a world that uh, you're interested in. What what horror movies excite you, inspire you? Uh, what led you here? Get Out was incredible. Us. I mean, I mean that, I you, that came, came after it. It's so good. Um I mean, The Shining, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all the classics, everything. I mean, anything that just keeps you on the edge of your seat is great. Yeah, You love Suspiria, too. Ugh, Suspiria is so good. Now the new Suspiria? Or the old one? I haven't seen the new one. (laughs) Um, To me, I very distinctly remember the first horror film I saw, and it was the remake, 99, I think? Of The Haunting. Oh, uh, the one with Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah, yeah, and Liam Neeson. Um, and my cousins forced me to watch it. <clears throat> and it, I watched it again a couple years ago, and I was like, oh, this is stupid. But when I first watched it, in my house... Do you remember... Have you seen the film? Yes. I actually saw it when it came out in the theater as well, and I do remember uh, specifically wanting to live in that house, and I still kind of do. I'm, I'm a big fan of big, creepy houses. Like, my dream house is, like, the Adams Family House, or, yeah. or the house from Casper, but, like, the haunting is up there, so... Yeah, so... Do you, so in the house there were all these ch- cherubs around it, but like the souls of children were trapped in it. Right. Well, as as they are. That's right. You know, just... But in my house we had a shit ton of cherubs too. So I was so scared. I was like ten years old, and my house was full of all these cherubs on the clocks, on the on the mo- like everywhere. Well, maybe there's a reason your mom was scared of everything. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> there's a secret you yeah. didn't know. <laughs> exactly. So I was very scared of that. And then the second movie I watched was the remake of Texas Chainsaw. Uh, which I love, I live, live, live. I've seen the movie so many times. But I remember telling my cousins, the same cousins that forced me to watch the first one, the other one, um, they were were like, oh, it's called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I was like, that sounds scary. And they're like, no, 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 it's like a college, like, funny film. Then I found out it wasn't. Yeah, knee slapper. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. But yeah, I I loved it so much, I could not wait. It scared me so much, I could not wait to show it to all my friends and watch their faces as like everybody got mutilated. I loved it. I mean, and that's the remake. Yeah. Have you since seen the original? Yes, and it's also one of my favorites. Yeah, it's very, they're very interesting uh, kind of a, a dual presentation because I don't think that that, I think it was like 2002 when the remake came out. It's 02 or 03. Someone yeah. on Twitter will correct me. Uh, I I really 2006? think... 2006? No, never mind. Black Christmas is 2006. Yes. Which, as of today's recording, they've announced that they're going to do a new Black Christmas. <gasps> oh, is Andrea Martin going to be in it again? Did you? Oh, so wait, am I breaking this news to you? Yes. Yeah, Blumhouse has announced as of today that they're going to have a new uh, Black Christmas. It's going to debut on December 13th. Oh, my God. Uh, and it's uh, directed by Sophia Tikal and written by April Wolf. So it's a female-led creative team. Uh, I love. And we don't. I don't know anything about it other than like because uh, they just announced it today. Except they dropped this like teaser poster of like a candy cane sharpened into a point, and like who didn't do that when they were a kid? Or maybe I did. I don't know. But <laughs> oh, like I once ran into Andrea Martin in New York City. 
And I love her so much. Uh, like I love both Black Christmases, the original and the remake. It's so stupid. And I saw her and I was like, Andrea Martin, I just have to say, she wasn't Pippin. Like, you know, she she had won an, a Tony for Pippin. Right. For singing, hanging for upside down from her ankles. And I went up to her and I was like, I'm sorry, I have to tell you, I loved you in Black Christmas. And she goes, that's what you know me from? And she walked away. <gasps> really? <laughs> yeah. Was And the remake had already come out at this point? Yeah, so? yeah, yeah. Yeah, this was a couple of years ago. So it's kind of like, there's, that's two solid movies. Yeah. Of, I mean, obviously she's proud of it or wouldn't have come back for the remake. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or maybe she was a little short on cash that year. <laughs> uh, no, I love Andrea Martin. Oh, uh, I iconic. think that uh, her run on SCTV is great, as well as uh, what was that show she did with Nicole Richie a couple years ago that Tina Fey wrote? Oh. Did you know this? Where they play newscasters? Oh. Yes, but no. Yeah, like I, I yeah. <laughs> I, well, I think that's that's probably you know where it exists in the zeitgeist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, Black Christmas. I'm a big fan of uh, Christmas horror movies because they uh, understand that not all uh, horror movies need to just be in dull, muted tones. Like they utilize colors. I love a colorful horror movie, and I think that speaks to Suspiria as well. Or something like Tales from the Crypt. It's got that very much like oh my god, the Christmas mm-hmm. episode from the first season. Yeah, so good. And also, and you know, going back, like our film is very colorful. You know, it's a it's a dude with a pink sequin booty shorts and a pink unicorn mask, and a pink knife, and a pink knife. Where and does one get a pink knife? You had to make it, I assume. We ha- we made it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, what makes it uh, more queer than accessorizing? <laughs> That's the thing. Is like the unicorn is such a performer because when you watch the film, like. He puts on a performance and he enjoys it and he bows to people too. Like he loves the show. So, I mean, let me take a leap here. Does that make the unicorn in some way, shape, or form a drag character? A thousand percent. A thousand percent. Yeah. The unicorn, yeah. He very much exists in that universe. And, I mean, and, and Drew, I think you came to that realization first that like the unicorn loves to pull a stunt oh yeah yeah like when you were thinking about the unicorn's backstory you always said like he loves to like put on the glitter and the things and loves for everyone to watch him oh so he's a showman yeah i love it so here's a question that kind of just popped into my mind because your your movie is populated with drag queens we're talking about how uh the killer of your film essentially is a drag character. And one of the things we've talked about a lot on Dead for Filth is sort of this idea that drag, uh, of course, is is a lot larger of an idea than necessarily what we see on RuPaul's Drag Race. Drag can take on different forms. Elvira is a drag queen. Pee Wee Herman, because Paul Rubens embodies that character so much, that's sort of drag. In uh, horror and drag seem to walk hand in hand because both of them have this like heightened presentation situation. Uh, but for the fun of it, because drag queens uh, are so prevalent to your story, if you could take a classic horror movie and remake it wholly with a cast of drag queens, what film would you do? I just have to say I love this exercise. <laughs> <laughs> I would say Drew, do you want to go first? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would love to see Apocalypse Now remade in drag. Well, I mean, not a horror movie, but also a horror movie. <laughs> and I, yes, absolutely. But um, yeah, I mean, more specifically horror movies. I mean, God, 
I want the Redux version though. If yeah, we're gonna, like, no, yeah, if course, we're gonna spend course, the time, we're gonna spend the time. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I'm really thinking about this, but the more I think about it, the more I kind of love it. I think it would be so stupid, especially the looks. A prom night. Ooh. You know, like everybody showing up in tacky prom dresses and getting killed at prom night. That'll be fun. Yeah, and you know what's great about prom night is it's got that bizarre choreographed dance sequence. I know. Yeah, like honestly, Jamie Lee, break it down more often. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I feel like that. How about you? Me? Um. Oh gosh. I mean, I I, I like that I threw the question out and I have no prepared answer. Yeah. <laughs> there is something to be said about uh, you mentioned Suspiria. Of course, it did just get a remake, but because the film is so populated by uh, kind of powerful if not over the top female characters i would love to see sort of like the the ballet school run by drag queens with witches in the basement you know i think there's something to be said where it's like give me someone like varla jean merman or coco peru as the headmistress terrorizing these drag queens you know i think that there's a i don't know in the hyper colors of the of the original argento version that's very draggy yeah, that would be really cool. But also, I kind of I'm feel like that. Tilda Swinton's a little drag adjacent as well. Oh, totally. You know, the witches. Yes, that should that should be yeah. done in drag. God, that'd be amazing. Yeah, not in Hathaway. <laughs> I, I've seen some queens do the Grand High Witch in like yeah. performances before. I mean, you get a wig reveal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good look. Yeah, the, yeah, the OG reveal for sure. <laughs> exactly. That movie terrified me as a child. Oh my god, god I know the painting. Yeah. I know. (laughs) What I like about that kind of era of of children's horror is that they would actually occasionally be scary. Yeah. Yeah, because what I like about the witches is it doesn't really work out for the the kid. Right. (laughs) Sort of like, well, too bad, so sad. You could never make that movie today. Well, I mean, they're gonna, but the idea that, like, I remember, like, Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes, where at the end it would be just like, and he died. You're like, what? Yeah. (laughs) Am I watching Nickelodeon right now? What what the fuck, man? Uh, I just feel like... They're coming back, too. Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah, I just saw that they released a synopsis for the first episode of the remake and the cast. Oh, get it, Canadian horror. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, Did you land on a a drag movie? Oh, a drag movie. I mean, God. uh, Apocalypse Now. Yeah, Apocalypse Now. Yeah, 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 but no quarter. Yeah. I mean, Texas Chainsaw, too. That would be fierce. That would be, yeah. You know, there's something uh, there's something drag about Leatherface. Right? I mean, definitely. That's definitely drag. He's putting yeah. on a character. And imagine Leatherface running in heels with a chainsaw. Well, there are a couple versions of Leatherface. I think it's in the later sequels where, like, the face that he puts on uh, actually has lipstick on it. Yes, there is. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's that McConaughey one that no one ever talks about. I know. And Kate Hudson is in it, too? Oh, no. Renee no. Zellweger. Renee Zellweger. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's... Oof. I mean, I I don't know. They I, were also a little short on cash that year. It's true. Yeah. I don't even know that... Uh, there was one Texas Chainsaw movie that wasn't even shot in Texas. Really? It might have been that one. Probably. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I always think it's strange when uh, actors who start in the world of horror then distance themselves from it and don't want to talk about it. Like, you can best believe if I was Susan Sarandon in Rocky Horror, I would be bringing it up in every interview. Right? <laughs> Always. Because the thing is, is yes, maybe like you then go on and win your Oscar for, you know, Dead Man Walking. But only one film 
has had the longest theatrical run in history, <laughs> and it's Rocky Horror. So talk about it. Exactly. A bunch of weirdos and nerds and freaks, of which I am all three, have been dressing up and going in to see that movie for 40-plus years, 50 years. Come on. I know. So... I don't. Uh, I don't know if we talked about this, but something fun. I don't know if you knew, but some of the showings that we're going to be doing of Killer Unicorn are going to be interactive. Really? Yeah. So tomorrow you're going to get a, a a bag of goodies and like shit to to use throughout the performances and like Bible Girls hosting. Every time someone dies, you can throw popcorn. Like, and we're going to do it around the country when the movie hits theaters in different cities with local drag queens hosting it. Oh, that's really cool. So it's sort of like going on like an audience participation, like drag tour. Yeah. Uh, How many cities are you doing? Do you know? Um, So far, L.A. is our first one. And we have the dates to be determined for New York and Houston. And those are our first three. And then we'll keep revealing more now does the idea of doing the film with an audience participation element come from a a rocky horror background or was this just something that you thought would be fun it absolutely came from rocky horror yeah i mean you know it was such a huge part of my life um in high school just going to these performances you know it was a space where i put on eyeliner in public for the first time and uh with it wasn't actually eyeliner it was like black colored pencil because that, that's all I had. With a lot uh, of spit. Yeah, with a lot of spit, exactly. It works great. Um, you know, it was just the space that allowed me to be whoever and whatever and I felt completely comfortable and um, that's yeah. something else I want to bring. Yeah, and like when we were making the film, we never thought that this was what we were going to do. It was more so that when we started seeing it with audiences, we, we saw that people reacted um, really in unanimous ways to different lines in the movie and different things. And um, after that, we were like, well, you know, the, the film is not super, super long. It's 75 minutes. So l- let's keep giving the audience something um, to come back for. And, you know, the, their $13 or however a movie ticket is, you know, right. it's worth it. And this becomes the experience that we want it to be. And we thought that that was a cool way to. That's cool. And I love yeah. the idea, too, that uh, you said you kind of want to provide that space where people can go and experiment and celebrate. Uh, I think that when we talk about something like Rocky Horror in terms of like its relation to the queer community, we don't get to talk about enough how I think for a lot of people who are not yet quite ready to announce to their friends or announce to the world, uh, you know, where they are, what they're, they're thinking or feeling, or maybe they don't even fully know yet, this this movie and sort of that cult community sort of allows you to kind of put your foot in. Yeah. With the buffer of being like, oh, I'm just going to a movie, mom, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like that you said you put on eyeliner for the first time to go see that film. But there's something also like, I'm doing this. Yeah. yeah. And now maybe, you know, your movie can provide that for a whole new group of kids. That would be the best. That would be so awesome. Yeah. Well, don't dream it, be it. <laughs> Yo, yeah. Uh, so before we head off into the night, we talked a little bit about horror movies that you like, but I also just generally like to know what have you seen recently that you like that inspires you? What are you watching these days? Well, um, I've been re- I, I'm terrible at keeping up with new movies, um, but I've been I rewatch a lot of stuff because I do this thing on Instagram that I think is really s- silly. Um, I do nude movie Monday on my stories where I post um, screenshots from like 
cult films, like right. cult horror films and trivia. And if you guess the the film correctly, you get my like my nudes. Oh, yeah. So. Well, um, there, yeah. this, there are a lot of listeners on the show, so maybe having <laughs> yeah. to send out a lot, of right? Um, yeah. So, like, I just did Terror Vision a few weeks ago. Oh, I love Terror Vision! So much yeah. fun. I and, yeah. have the soundtrack somewhere. It's such a bizarre. Oh my god, really? Weird, yeah. Oh my a, god, it's so good. It is. It's so stupid. It's I love it. A, a wonky little movie. For yeah. Sure. And the Nest. I did the Nest. So yeah, I've been rewatching a lot of stuff. So I'm like, so I can think of like what to do next. So that's what I've been up to that's cool and salacious which we're fans of (laughs) at jose underscore d alvarez on instagram (laughs) well that that's a leap ahead so we'll we'll remember that when i ask you where they can find you in a few um i just started watching uh tales of the city uh on netflix how is it i haven't had a chance to start it yet it's good i've only seen the first episode so far um but it was really good i was you know i think a lot of conversations that need to happen are happening in it so i'm excited to see where it goes i love that awesome and you know you're rolling out the movie you're here in la for the premiere i was so excited that you were able to join me uh while you're in town and as you said you're taking it to a couple different places uh but what's next what what are you scheming and dreaming that we can look forward to beyond the killer unicorn well unicorn comes out um streaming on streaming services uh, no like pay-per-view all that jazz yeah. iTunes iTunes Amazon DirecTV Fandango Microsoft Store Google Play Redbox and DVD I've heard of yeah. this DVD yeah it's, it's, a the, new, yeah it's the wave of the future yeah, that's exactly um, <laughs> yeah. July 9th July so that 9th. comes out July 9th um which is really cool. We also have merch available from the film at dragqueenmerch.com. Thank you Bible girl. We're fans here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so right now we're like pretty busy doing that. I just wrapped a film called Guys at Parties Like It. It's a hashtag Me Too inspired horror film. And um, the, le- the actors of that film, uh, Monica Garcia Bradley, plays Coke in our movie. And so- she's here with us in town right now for yeah. the premiere. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that's what I've been up to. Yeah. How about you, Drew? Um... I'm writing right now. Yeah. We're we're concocting new stuff. Well, we'll have to keep our eyes peeled and ears open and all that all that in between. Yeah, Pride is always, you know, a little busy with other stuff. Yes. And uh New York Pride is coming up at the end of June, right? It's World yeah. Pride. World yeah. Pride. World yeah. Pride. Yeah, 50 years. Yeah, I just finished uh editing these little documentaries of uh people who are actually at Stonewall. Uh, and that was just an incredible opportunity to go through all of this uh, footage of, you know, these people just retelling the night and just, you know, experiencing how everything changed after that. That's got to be really impactful as well to just dig into the history that way. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so where can people find you <laughs> beyond the Instagram that you listed as well? Right. Um well, you can find more stuff about Killer Unicorn on KillerUnicornFilm.com uh, or at KillerUnicornFilm on Instagram. My personal Instagram is at Jose, D, ha, at Jose underscore D Alvarez. My Instagram is at Drew Bolton, B-O-L-T-O-N. 
Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much, uh, both of you, for coming in and talking about uh, Killer Unicorn uh, and you know all the fun queer stuff and fun and frights in between that we discussed. Uh, listeners, please keep your eyes open for Killer Unicorn. As they said, it is going to be out in the world of streaming and physical media on July 9th, but also keep your eyes open at a theater near you because who knows, they may be coming through with uh, you know glitter and mayhem. Uh, Thanks again, both of you. And uh, I am Michael Verratti. This has been Dead for Filth, yours always in glam and gore. Good night and good luck. Dead for Filth is a Reverie original podcast, executive produced by Aaliyah J. Daniels, LaShawn McGee, Chris Rodriguez, and Damian Pelliccione. The show is produced by Drew Phillips and sound engineered and edited by Josh Perkins. Download the Reverie app and use the code FILTH for 25% off your first three months.